Welcome to Battleground. I'm your host, Jeff Queen, sitting in today for Ivan Garcia Hidalgo. Got a great show for you this week, bringing back retired Phoenix PD officer Robert Arce. Robert, welcome into Battleground. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Great, great to just reconnect and to uh, kind of pick up where we left off. We had a lot of things going on, talking about uh, some uh, transnational criminal organization stuff last week and, and moving cocaine and, and fentanyl and stuff around. And, and uh, so I want to I wanna move from that a little bit uh, today and talk about some of the other law enforcement issues that are going on around the country. I mean, we we have seen since uh, the start of this uh, COVID pandemic, this real, uh, you know, animosity towards law enforcement. Uh, you know, now it started with uh, the George Floyd incident in, uh, in Minneapolis, but it has permeated all across the country to places that are not even affected by the, uh, by, by the George Floyd incident, right? Right. And it's just, it's spreading all over the country. And it's uh, something that I believe it's very dangerous. It's very I think dangerous. it is dangerous. We're trying to limit police powers. And I think one of the things that you and I have discussed previously, uh, and there's a couple of things front and center in the news about, uh, you know, recently, uh, you've got one on the uh, Phoenix uh, uh, Union High School District uh, eliminating their SROs altogether. And uh, Portland State University, where they're having all of these riots in the Northwest, uh, that Portland State University is uh, disarming their campus safety officers entirely. Uh, you know, the, what, what's going on with this trend that we're seeing to, to, you know, minimize the ability of law enforcement to do the job and then to protect themselves and the public? I don't know. It's, this school resource officer program, and I'll give you a little background on myself. Uh, I think I, I talked to Ivan a little bit about this, but born and raised in Phoenix, grew up in inner city Phoenix, I was as high risk as a kid as they come. I lost both my parents by the time I was 10 years old, raised by my maternal grandparents in inner city Phoenix in a you know, pretty rough part of town. Uh, two very important influential people in my life was my high school football coach when I was a freshman. He was a Phoenix police officer working at my high school. And here, uh, a young Latino kid from, from a inner city barrio from Phoenix was he was really the first uh, Phoenix PD officer or a police officer that I got to know. And uh, he later became my, my uh, police commander when I joined the Phoenix PD, but he was the first one that plant that seed. A year later, my American Legion baseball coach was another Phoenix officer who was volunteering after work, a legendary cop that uh, uh, also helped reinforce that, that thought in my head that, hey, maybe I can go into law enforcement. Well, I did become a cop and, you know, there's the neighborhood I grew up in produced, you know, very good people, hard workers, but it was also a breeding ground for the Mexican mafia prison gang and many other criminal groups. And uh, before, uh, probably a year ago, the, my, my baseball coach, I finally found him. I had not talked to him since I had left high school and he had retired before I joined the PD. I got a hold of him on the phone. And I told him, I said, uh, Coach, I, call, I still call him Coach Scott. I said, you don't have no idea how much you changed my life. I said, you didn't only change my life. You changed the life of my kids and my grandkids by planting that seed and giving me a life to be able to leave the, you know, I'm proud where I come from. I come from the inner city, but I don't live in the inner city anymore. And to join in the PD, 
my career, I was able to travel the world, spend 10 years outside the country, uh, working you know, all over the Balkans, Iraq, Haiti, Mexico. And I told him, I said, I really appreciate it. And he didn't remember me, but he remembered the team because we were city champs. And uh, he thanked me. He said, come on over and see me. And didn't get to go see him. I didn't realize at the time he was uh, dying of cancer. So he died shortly thereafter. But I, I think people don't realize these the school resource officers are also a positive influence to, to a lot of kids like me, to other kids that are out there. They can see a human side of that police officer. And that's why I think it's very dangerous to pull them out besides them providing the safety uh, that a lot of these kids need because a lot of these schools are infested with gangs. Well, I think you bring up a great point right there too. And, and, and that is that they're, they're not just cops. They're, they're advisors. They, they're people in the community that are trying to mold and shape young people on a path away from the drugs and the gangs and the violence and, and all of the things that, that so permeate our culture today. And, and it's because of the kind of people they are, you know, first responders run to the danger. We yeah. go where other people won't go. And, and you know, I, I did, uh, you know, talking about the volunteering things, I, I was the uh, Explorer Scout uh, coordinator uh, with our department for many yes. years, you know, and, and uh, have a, a similar kind of story where a young man uh, and his, his family, uh, you know, wrote me a very nice letter about the uh, impact that I had made on that, uh, that young man's life. And, and, but, you know, we, we do that because that's who we are. You know, it's not that there's anything, you know, to us, more to us than there are to other people. That's just what we're made of. We, that's our makeup. We, we want to help people. We want to create a positive influence and a positive environment uh, you know, because we got to live there too, right? Yes, yes. And, and the thing is, is that when we talk about the danger about this, uh, you mentioned at the, at the opening about the removing the school resource officers here in Phoenix. The Phoenix Union High School District covers inner city Phoenix. Uh, it's where I came from. I, I went to East High School, it's no longer open, but it's, uh, it's where I came from. And it covers all the inner city uh, public schools and there's a new superintendent for the Phoenix. Well, I think I think he's fairly new. Uh, Phoenix Union High School District, and he came from somewhere in the Northwest. And he just announced, as part of this movement, that after next year or after this school year, he's pulling all school resource officers out of the Phoenix Union High School District. And this guy should know better. He uh, was a principal at Isaac Junior High which is uh, West Phoenix, well, 35th Avenue McDowell, which is just west of downtown Phoenix. Isaac uh, Junior High is a flashpoint for gang activity. And it said, you know, there's, just because they have a lot of gang activity doesn't mean that everybody there is a gang. It, I mean, it's a very low income area. The school has so many problems that when I was on the PD, they had two school resource officers full-time assigned to that school there was a third position that was for an off-duty officer. And what they were doing is getting a gang cop to come over and work at the school uh, off-duty, and they were getting paid. I was one of those gang cops that was working there on my day off. And they have a, a, a juvenile probation officer assigned to the school full-time because so many of the kids are, uh, were on probation. So 
after school would let out, we would have to get in our cars, circulate the area, and then a couple of blocks away is a high school where most of these kids would end up going. And there was probably six, maybe eight gangs, and we would have drive-by shootings, fights, all the time, all the time. And so this, this superintendent was a principal at that school. He knows the problems there. And I think, what, you know, we, we see it. I mean, I come from a neighborhood similar to that. The people who hurt the most are the low-income kids who want to do the thing right, and they're being intimidated. They're, being, they're having to live in that, and the parents can't move them out of there. You know, this, this right. superintendent, I'm sure, doesn't live down there. And, but yeah. it gives them a warm, fuzzy feeling to go along with this, this, this movement well, to say, you, look what I'm doing. Yeah, and you have to wonder what they're thinking because to your point that you made earlier where they say, uh, well, not, just because you come from a poor area that's got a lot of gang members in it doesn't mean everybody's in a gang. Well, oh. if you take those positive influences out of there because you've already got, as you said, so many kids on probation uh, already – and you've got all of those gangs and, and, and that it's such a, a flashpoint. Why would you remove the barrier that you've got that you've already seen that serves in, in multiple capacities as, as coaches and influencers, uh, you know, to, to be able to, to have this positive influence. And now all of a sudden you're, you're going to remove that from those who are the most vulnerable. Yeah, doesn't make it doesn't, sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. No rational thinking person thinks that makes a good sense. No, no. And and like I said, I come from I come from the inner city. Uh, growing up as a kid, uh, you come from a neighborhood like that. And, and I think back. I think now, if, if you're a parent, you want to raise your kids away from those inf those negative influences, but. What are you going to do? You, uh, you can't pull your kids out. Most of those uh, families cannot afford to leave and they stay there. And they're, I mean, it's like they're, they're, the kids are having to survive among all those wolves out there. Because a lot of these people, like the superintendent, they don't understand. There's some evil out there. There's some really bad people out there that are looking to prey on these kids. And the other thing with this, with this school district, the Phoenix Union High School District, the prominent gang, if and, and I'm a gang, I was a gang cop. I was a I worked was a, a gang gang detective for many years. Uh, the the prominent gang or the largest the largest gang in Phoenix is a gang called Wetback Power. Uh, Wetback Power is a derogatory slang for for someone that's illegally in the U.S. That's what they call themselves. They are the largest gang in Phoenix, member wise. And at the time that I was at Phoenix PD, they were the most violent gang. And there's multiple sets throughout the city of Phoenix, and most of the, many of them are fighting against each other. Isaac School, I think at the time, had two different sets of wetback power besides Mexican-American gangs and black gangs that some got along, some didn't. But the junior, Isaac Junior High required the school resource officers to speak Spanish because so many of those kids uh, were Spanish-speaking kids. And... It's, it's, you know, it's just, it's very dangerous to do what they're doing because it's, the problem's not going to go away. Now, the police officers that are working the area are going to be pulled away from their regular duties to have to circulate the area after school to prevent any of the problems that were happening that gang guys or the school resource officers were able to jump on immediately. 
it's a it's a, it's a it's a really dangerous mindset that just permeates uh, all across the the country. And I, I made this point before. You know, when when everything happened, uh, you know, subsequent to the uh, George Floyd uh, incident, uh, that uh, you know, so many people you know got the finger pointed at them, but except for the people who could do something about it. You know, uh, the uh, Minneapolis police chief, the Minneapolis district attorney, and the Minneapolis mayor all knew who this guy was. And if he's a problem cop with, with 19 complaints on his record, then the people who were in a position to do something about it did not do their jobs. And, and, and yet right. the problem is uh, individual police officers. And, and that's the mindset we've got to get out of. The, the administrators need to take some responsibility. They need to do a better job of vetting who they're bringing on board uh, and, and getting to serve. You know, and I, I want to go in conjunction with talking about the uh, removal of the SROs in Phoenix. I want to go to Portland State again for a minute because they've got a new administrator there uh, of campus safety. And uh, he is disarming his officers. And the quote that he gave was that his people are talented enough to do the job without a weapon. Now he's in Portland. I think we've seen that Portland PD needs a weapon, right? I mean, yes, of course. You know, uh, if his people are so good, why aren't they solving the problems overall in Portland? Why doesn't he, you know, farm them out until Portland can be solved? Why doesn't he send them to Chicago or or Seattle? You know, the 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 mindset is just completely ridiculous in in how administrators are looking to approach this, and then we see uh, Austin, Texas today cut 150 million dollars from their police department you know so i asked the question you know when all of this corona uh pandemic hit and we were all scrambling for toilet paper and we were so upset because we couldn't find toilet paper how upset are we going to be when we can't find a cop when we need one yes they're going to get somebody hurt they're going to get somebody killed they're going to they're going to find out how difficult the job really is and just because you show up Speaking kind words, speaking softly, uh, that people are going to uh, comply. I uh, said it, it's they're going to get somebody hurt. That's that's yeah. that's it's going to happen. A- and absolutely. We'll see what happens. And, and and the idea that we're going to put social workers in police cars, you know, to respond to these, you know, high tension, high risk calls to try and de-escalate the situation. You know, you're you're asking to get. Uh, other people hurt. You're asking to bring people in to get hurt, uh, you know, for nothing. Yeah. When I was at Phoenix PD early in my career, and I believe they still had them even after I left, but when I was in patrol, we had social workers that would work uh, Fridays and Saturday nights, sometimes other nights. Uh, we called them 501 Charlie on the radio. And they were uh, from a, a battered women's shelter uh, that re- were, they were very helpful. But uh, they would roll or respond to family fights if we requested them, and they would show up. Uh, a lot of times, some of them were thought they they had more powers than they actually did, and they would say, "Hey, uh, can you leave now? I think your presence is uh, agitating the parties involved." So right. we would leave because they're going to take care of the problem. And as soon as we leave, we're hearing them screaming on the radio, asking for help. So now we're having to respond back because right. they're unarmed social workers in plain clothes. 
So that happened often. And we would sometimes just wait outside because our response time would be a lot quicker. And uh, we had incidents where I believe some of them were uh, assaulted. And, you know, it's, it's when, when we leave, some angry spouse is going to turn to violence. That, well, that's, that's right. I mean, because the situation is not contained, it's, it's not stabilized, and, and it's not resolved. Nope. You know, nope. and I used to tell people all the time, you know, I, uh, there's no way I could ever, you know, run for political office because in my job where I go, I automatically make 51% of the people mad at me just by showing up. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, and, you uh, know, and, and so all of a sudden the, the, the person with no authority whatsoever shows up and tries to, not, to talk nice to everybody. Yeah. There's a, uh, in, in working those, in working the family fights, Police officers who are armed and have training get hurt or killed. Yeah, get yes. their weapons taken from them. Yes. And we, we go through training to uh, to to have you know weapon retention. I'll tell you a funny story. We we did a, a training scenario one time where we would you know be attacked by somebody trying to take our gun, and we had to keep our gun. And after you know a few seconds. Uh, if they couldn't get it, they would send another guy in. So it would be two on one and then three. It finally took four of them to get my gun and they never got it out of the holster, but they broke my holster off my belt and I went home with a bloody nose and a busted lip. But they, yes. didn't, get, they didn't get my gun, but uh, it took, it was going to take more than four of them to get it. So, you know, yes. That's, that's it, what we got to do. That's, it, that's how, you know, we face what's out there in the street. And a social worker is not going to do that. You, you, put, you go hands-on on a family fight. You get, like, say, for instance, a wife calls or the girlfriend calls and she's been beaten up. You show up, and now you have to go hands-on on, the, on the, the male. And you go hands-on. How often does the complainant suddenly turn on you, and now right. you're fighting both of them because she, she just wanted you to make him stop but didn't want him to go to jail, and now you got – you, it, it just, you got a volatile situation happens so fast. And uh, it's, I, I have, a, I think some of these people need to start going on these ride-alongs and seeing what we actually have to put up with. Well, I, I want to see, and I, I, I know, I don't know if Phoenix ever did this, but I know it's been done uh, and put in the news several times, but they take some of these uh, community activists who are calling for defunding the police and they put them in those uh, simunition training scenarios yes. and and they every single one of them i haven't seen one yet who who was able to resolve a, a high-risk situation without putting uh simunition rounds into somebody well you know we have they, our, they do it we all have the time a, yes we have our version in phoenix of our poor man poor man's l sharpton here and the they had him do that on the news and he shot unarmed people he did everything so he went out afterwards and said yeah it was a really shocking and we thought maybe he would change you know anytime something he's there uh hogging for the camera looking for the attention and uh throwing the uh the the molotov co racial molotov cocktail to do, do you ever remind it. him of of his response yeah, being yeah, exactly the same you know yes yes and yeah. like here in phoenix right now one of the, i think i mentioned to you off before we started we have a ad hoc committee that's going to be meeting here in Phoenix. We have some very dangerous people that have been voted into office. Our mayor, 
couple of city council people. One of the city council, I mean, and I told you, I grew up in inner city Phoenix when I went to school and I started going to college. There's these different groups, social groups. One of them is Mecha. And Mecha is one of the groups that's in every university. And uh, they push this at the Southwest, that California is occupied territory, that uh, it belongs to Mexico. Well, one of our uh, city council members that is pushing this, uh, these crazy, crazy rules that they want to put on us, uh, when he was sworn into office, he didn't put his hand on a Bible. He put his hand on what is called the Chicano Movement Bible, Chicano being a Mexican-American. And uh, the title of this book is called uh, uh, something about occupied territory or something like this. And uh, these people are very dangerous. They, they talk about wanting to uh, remove everything is is race based for them too and they they are they are empowered but they don't realize they are empowered but most inner city people the latinos a lot of them live in these areas they're going to hurt those people by pulling the law uh, police presence out of these neighborhoods they need police presence in these why, neighborhoods why do you think that they keep voting for these people and and you know a lot of these people that are making these these selections in these elections come as you said from a culture where there was so much corruption uh you know in in government and yet they keep electing you know over here the the, the same people that they you know that they they they're you know uh family members are fleeing from these oppressive regimes and, and coming to America, and yet when when they get into these locations like Phoenix, they turn around and put the same people into office. You know what? Yes, why, very why, easy. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that? What's the mindset there? If you can, you know, give oh, us a little bit there. A lot of it is uh, my mother-in-law's uh, living with us right now. Yeah, right. she doesn't speak English, so we watch Spanish news all the time. You watch Spanish news. You watch local Univision local Telemundo, then you watch a national one. And it is, if you think CNN and MSNBC is uh, way out there left, when you watch these news programs, it's as they shape what people think. If they do not, uh, if they're not educated, if they don't educate themselves, they don't look for an alternative viewpoint. So when you watch Spanish news, it is all pro open borders, uh, the U.S. government is bad. Uh, you need to support these candidates and their fluff pieces. I mean, it's you, I watch it. I can't even. It's very difficult for me to watch how they uh, uh, shape every narrative that, on things that are happening in the U.S. And the power of the Spanish-speaking media. There is no alternative viewpoint except for what the Univision, the Jorge Ramos types push. And right, I'm man, sure Ivan you know, will tell you. Yeah, we've we've got uh, you know our separate uh, program on uh, you know the channel uh, La Política desde Washington yeah. D.C. and and uh, you know they address a lot of those issues as well, um, you know. But it's it it is a mindset that needs to be uh, and uh, that needs to change the narrative, right? Yeah, it it it's that's where we lack those of us on the right that uh, uh, see different. You no, know, I know everyone's everyone's political view is is shaped by the lens they see light through. But I, I think 
exactly what you stated is that why uh, you know we have family on, on my side of the family uh, part of the family is from mexico the other part is uh, my father was, was from cuba mother's family was uh from from mexico we have family that shows up here in the same generation and they're they're they follow the same failed political ideology that they fled from i said right. how do you think it's going to change it's not going to change why did why did you why did why did you flee your home and you want to push the same ideology and then but the, what they do is the, the narrative we, we always hear this all the time is well we got to vote we got to support the, the raza meaning the race the mexican right. race or whatever and it's like no you're you're an american now you need what's best for the united states not what's best for mexico you don't live in mexico anymore there's a reason you came here right uh, and and isn't that funny you know everybody comes here for the american dream but then they try to turn it into what they had before yes and and, and it didn't work and and socialism you know has not worked anywhere in the world no, it has failed no. everywhere throughout you know the entirety of history it has failed and yet the arrogance of America is that somehow we can come here and we can do that better than they did yes. it in other places. Well, now, I, I'll be honest with you, you know, we may do it more richly than they did it in other places, but, uh, you know, the, the outcome is going to be the same. Right. It has right. to be. It, 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 you know, it can't be any other thing. Well, their belief is that it just hasn't been tried the right way yet. That's what right. you need to do. That, that, that's yeah. the, the, the thing you always hear. And I think, uh, when we talk, when I talk to family members, you know, they talk to family members about this. I have family members on my own side of the family that, uh, I mean, we all grew up together and they're not that there's anything wrong with it. There's still in the inner city. They've never been able to get out and it's tough. I mean, they complain to me that they can't go out at night. They're afraid to go out at night because they live in a crime infested area and that's why I say a lot of these policies are hurting those people. Right. I don't, I, I live in a neighborhood now. I mean, I was, I lived, I lived a great American dream. I live in a neighborhood where kids leave bikes in the park across the street and they're still there in the morning. Right. And uh, it's, it's, um, and like I told you earlier, when I mentioned it with my old high school baseball coach, I told him, you change, you have no idea how you changed my life. Not only mine, but the life of my children the life of my grandchildren are not even born yet right. because of the partisan influence you had that I was able to see the human side of a police officer and eventually went in that line and followed that career path. And, uh, but to remove, going back to the point of to removing the school resource officers from schools, I, I've worked gang squad. I worked with some very good school resource officers that do a good job that go to work and they see their, their job as, as being a positive influence, not just throwing handcuffs on people, uh, showing these kids the human side of us, because we're human at the end of right. the day, we're still human. And it, I think it's good to let them see us be human. Yes. And to understand that we've got a sense of humor and we can interact and, and, and that we can give them solutions to problems of life that don't involve law and order. Right. but just, you know, involve a different uh, perspective. And, and quite honestly, if you want to have success in the community, 
we should probably have more school resource officers because the kids are the ones that know what's going on and have the time on their hands to watch and see everything that's going on. The rest of us are busy trying to earn a living, you know, and, and, and the kids know what the, what the uh, pulse of the culture is. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, is that with, I'm a strong advocate for community-based policing. And every time you see uh, any of the recommendations and see, well, we need community-based policing. I'm so old school that I believe that good cops were practicing community-based policing concepts before the term year came up. I was sure. a walking bee cop in the city of housing projects. And later on, after I, after I went to detectives and the term community-based policing came out, they sent us to some training and those of us who worked in the walking beat and the housing project said, we were doing this. We, we've already been doing this, right? Yeah, we've been doing this. This is something that we've you, already been doing. Any good cop practices, the, it's, and it's, it's, it's a way of thinking, problem solving. Uh, and a lot of, you know, it's not just some like, you set up a community center and that's it. No, a guy working the street, I was a detective working organized crime, working gangs. And I practiced community-based policing mindset during my investigative process and not only would it help me solve problems with the neighborhood it was helping me develop sources whether it was a concerned well, citizen or informants to help me help them that that's right because to to your point when when you're walking that beat you're walking past the same residents you're walking past the same uh, shops and bodegas and 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 uh, businesses. You you know who owns them. You know what time they open. You know who's supposed to be there. You know when people are coming and going. Um, you know, and, and it's it's about building relationships. And uh, you know, here in Alabama, in Tuscaloosa, this is the largest landlocked county in the state of Alabama. We got fifteen hundred square miles, and mm -hmm. we would patrol this county with twelve deputies to cover fifteen hundred wow. square miles. But the nice thing about it was once you get outside of the city of Tuscaloosa, uh, you know, these communities are widespread, but they're fairly small. And the difference in doing that is that, uh, you know, today's victim is going to be tomorrow's witness is going to be the next day's suspect. Yes. And so you've got to treat them the same way every time, because if, if you, if you go to, to him, uh, to serve a warrant when he's the suspect on and, and you mistreat him on something as simple as somebody's weed eater being stolen, then tomorrow when he's your witness at the murder scene and you say, Hey, you know, come on, tell me what happened here. He's going to say, screw you. You didn't treat me right. I'm not telling you anything, but if you treated him right, gave him some dignity, uh, you know, knew what was going on with him. Then when you go the next day, he may front in front of his buddies, you know, like he's not going to say anything, but once you get him around the corner, he's going to go, all right, look, this is what happened. This is what I saw. Here's, here's who was where. And, and, and you solve your case. And that's right. part of that community policing. That's knowing your beat. That's knowing who's there. Uh, that's, that's knowing what's going on in the neighborhood and getting out of that administrative mindset uh, and that, you know, social justice mindset and getting down to who's where, when, and what's going on and what relationship do you have? Exactly. You know, I worked the, the walking beat that I worked in the, the city housing project, the, a precinct I worked in as a rookie, it was the same neighborhood, same precinct I grew up in. And I, I had such an incredible advantage because 
luckily my family had since moved out of there. So I didn't feel like I, anybody was going to get hurt in my family, but I grew up there. People knew my grandparents. Right. They, people knew me from the neighborhood because I went to school with a lot of these people. I would run into criminals out on the street and they would try to give me a fake name and they didn't remember me because they were so stoned <laughs> out of their mind, but right. I knew them. So yeah. I, I knew who they were, but I had instant credibility because they knew me, they trusted me. And some of the bad guys, uh, you know, in, in front of everybody, they're cussing me out and everything else. I'm right. having to put cuffs, I get into jail. And now they're being nice to me. They're telling me, listen, I'm not a snitch, but there's right. some people selling dope to my nephews. Yeah. And you need to take care of that. And they're telling me this in private. Yeah, I came up in the county jail system. I was a detention officer at the start of my career. And, you know, again, because this is such a small place, you know, everybody that, you know, when they get out of jail, they stay right there in, in, in their area and you see them again. And so when, when you treat them right, when they're locked up, when they're out and you're out there, you know, patrolling your beat, you, they either stop doing what they shouldn't have been doing because they see you and they know you and they know what you're going to do, or they'll give you information on somebody else that was doing something because you were decent to them. Right. Right. And, and was, you know, that's the, that's the bottom line is just trying to, I, I used to tell, I was a, a field training officer too. And I, I used to tell all the rookies, you know, when they're coming out of the Academy and, and, and they're full of piss and vinegar and, and, you know, raring to go. And uh, I would tell them, look, you, you can't save the world. All you can do is make this beat that we're in for the next eight hours better than it was when we went on duty. Yes. And if you can do that and go home safe, you've had a good day. Yes. An, an example of community-based policing that I did as a detective. And to me, it was like when I retired, this is at the tail end of my career, retired. I had a, you know, made me feel good because it, this neighborhood reminded me of the neighborhood I grew up in. And what it was was that we had, I mentioned the wetback power gang. We had a couple of illegal alien gangs that were doing drive-by shootings on each other. One gang tried to do a, a drive-by on another missed and hit three little kids, uh, a seven, uh, an eight, and an 11-year-old playing soccer in a dirt field. They got hit with a bird shot from a shotgun. They got hit, they go down, I'm doing follow-up, and I go knock on their door the following day as a gang detective in plain clothes, and they didn't want, the families didn't want to talk to me. It turns out there was three families living in one apartment. They had just arrived from Mexico. They were afraid that we're, they're gonna get deported. They want to talk to me and they're crying. So what I did is I left, I, I called Pizza Hut, I sent pizzas and sodas over to their house and told them to tell them that it was for me, this is my phone number. They called me. So yeah. they called me, they met me in private, we started uh, doing follow-up, started arresting everybody. Now they trust me. So now, I be, they, through word of mouth in that neighborhood, I started getting calls from multiple families on other problems, that this is what's going on, uh, they started trusting me so much. They invited me to go see their kids sing at the Christmas presentation <laughs> of the schools. So there I go. I got invited to a quinceanera, you know, a sweet 15 that we celebrate in, in, in the Spanish culture. I went, I put on a suit. I went, uh, I was going to graduations and it got, I, I started getting so many phone calls from families that I didn't even know Spanish speaking families to help help them with a problem that we eventually went to the Spanish speaking media section 
and put some ads on Spanish radio, Spanish TV. And it was like, I was overwhelmed. I had left that unit, went to a wiretap unit and I couldn't keep up. I had to pass that responsibility on to somebody else. We cleaned that neighborhood up. Uh, it took time, but we cleaned that neighborhood up and it was just, you know, you have to partner with this neighborhood, with your citizens, if, because if you can solve that gang problem in that neighborhood, you're going to make it easier for all the other uniform cops to respond to other calls. That's exactly right. You know, and, yep. and, and again, that's the bottom line. That's, that's why we do what we do. That's why we're out there every day. It's why we get up. It's why we run to the gunfire. It's why we respond when nobody else will is because right. we know how hard it is to make that difference. And if we don't have that help, that cooperation, we can't do it alone. And I think that's, that's what drives us is, is that we w just want so badly for those communities to, to take on some ownership and some stakeholder, you know, responsibilities to help us get in there and, and make that difference. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that should be our, our goal when uh, we put on that uh, badge, put on that gun and hit the street. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I went to a back the blue rally uh, this past weekend uh, here in town and they asked me to speak. Um, and one of the things I always tell groups that I talk to uh, is, you know, if you have the ability to respond, you have the response ability to respond. And yes. that goes for me not wearing a badge anymore, but still, you know, of that mindset and of that family and you, I know as well. And, you know, that's, if you have the ability to make a difference in your community, then you have the responsibility to make a difference in your community. And if we would all put aside all of the political crap and all of the other stuff that gets in our way, and if we would just start taking some responsibility in our own neighborhoods, uh, you know, then, then we can eliminate a lot of this mess that's going on out there today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. Well, Robert, this has been great. I thank you for joining us on battleground. I'm sorry that Ivan uh, missed us. He's gonna, he's gonna really be upset when he hears uh, this interaction because this has been a great conversation. I think it's one that needs to continue and uh, folks, I want to announce, I'm really excited to announce that uh, the Framers Forum is coming back. We took a hiatus during COVID, but uh, we're going to start uh, easing our way back into that. Uh, so I'll be back regularly uh, doing law enforcement security, national security, homeland security, uh, Second Amendment and constitutional rights issues. So I'm really looking forward to that. Can't wait to do it. I appreciate Ivan letting me sit in for him today. That's all we've got today for Battleground. Join us next time. Thank you. Welcome back. We don't like to finish our podcast without first thanking our sponsors and also thanking you for listening to us every week uh, and every day. Um, please visit Hispanic Leadership Council at hlc.gop. We can't do it without our sponsors. Uh, they're working very, very hard on converting the Hispanic vote to the Republican Party. Also, Empower America Project, empower.org. Uh, great organization working to bring in all minorities into the Republican Party, converting us into a big tent and making sure we win some elections. If you've been on our page on uh, either Twitter or Facebook, you've seen some armored vehicles uh, that we like to use. Um, 
armorforrent.com. That's where you can find them. Those vehicles have been in movies. Uh, they were deployed during Katrina. Uh, they were used in the movie Predator and the movie Red Dawn. Really, really cool stuff. Paladin Operations Group, paladinoperations.com, full service security company. Uh, anywhere from dignitaries, personal security to uh, sensitive infrastructure. Check them out. Great people. Another group we like to uh, we like to mention is OpportunityMattersFund.org. Opportunity Matters is led by Trey Gowdy. The guy's a stud. Check them out. Uh, they're doing a lot, a lot of great work. And finally, Battleground Group, uh, which is a media company, comms company, political strategy company. Um, check them out. If you need help, we're here. Thank you, and we'll see you tomorrow with some great guests. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>